All right, episode four is titled, Who Goes There? Who Goes There? And at the end of episode three, we see Reggie Ledoux in his gas mask getting ready to cook some meth out there, walk around with the machete. So after a week buildup, you get uh, absolutely nothing in this episode in terms of that, or at least there's no big showdown just yet. The episode opens up with the interrogation of Charlie, Charlie Lang, Dora, Dora's ex-husband, the uh, you know the woman who has been murdered and that they are investigating. And when he finds out that Dora is dead, he is completely shook, crying. But here you have Rust showing him no sympathy at all, telling him that you know we're not going to give you the Oscar no matter how hard you try, implying look you're not shook about this. We even think you might have had something to do with this, in a way. So they're looking for information. And now Charlie's actually given them some. Says that he knows that Reggie Ledoux is messing with some people who's kind of into devil worshipping and sacrificing kids and such. Talks about Carcosa and the Yellow King. References old stones out in the woods having a circular thing. Uh, branded on his back in a spiral. Of course, the symbol that we have seen show up at some of these crime scenes. Even gives him another name of someone who might be messing with Reggie Ledoux, uh, Tyro Weems, someone who uh, is his partner, who that or not necessarily his partner, but a, a mutual friend that may know of his whereabouts. Here's where you really see, at the end of this scene, uh, just just how... I don't want to say heartless or how cold, but just I love this exchange with Russ Cole when as he's leaving the the interrogation room or the cell, uh, Charlie asks if he had anything to do if he if he thinks that he had anything to do with uh, his his wife or ex wife uh, being murdered. Hey hey, you think because I talked to him about Dory that. I might have got her killed. You probably had something to do with it. I don't think you should have shown him those pictures. You? So absolutely no no sympathy, no comfort for Charlie from Rust as he walks out of the jail cell, even though Charlie did give them some pretty valuable information. Charlie asked about parole and how that is going to help him giving up the information prior to asking about his wife which then you know they get back in the car and and Marty who of course is the the a little bit more the sympathetic figure in this in this duo uh, is kind of bothered by the way that Rust handled that closing situation you didn't have to tell him it was his fault yeah, I was already low yeah he asked about his in first Parole board. So? So fuck him. Are you funny, Marty? Shit you get soft about? Great line from Rust as he's basically like, look, this guy doesn't deserve peace of mind. This guy doesn't deserve any type of comfort. He wasn't worried or feeling guilty. At least as the as the biggest priority in his life, number one was looking out for himself. Look, you know, looking out for his his parole hearing 
And then, you know, finds a way to take a shot at Marty along the way, saying, look, man, you, you, you seem to have a really weird time. You, you find weird times to get soft. Probably another poke at uh, his infidelity and, and, and him not caring or being uh, soft or sensitive when it comes to his own business. Picks up the next scene. You have Marty, speaking of which, uh, being uh, you know, being confronted by his mistress, Lisa. Lisa comes up and basically has a problem with how Marty broke in her house and beat up her new boyfriend in episode three. To which now, you know, Marty went from being psycho, crazy, I'm in love, I'm, I'm, I'm emotional about it, to being cold and heartless and, well, he doesn't care now. To which she says, isn't neither one of them's fine. He can't be hothead crazy man and now pretending like it doesn't matter or that he doesn't care about her or, you know, th- what just happened. And he's just completely blowing her off right there, even as she's screaming about infidelity in front of people, in front of, you know, people who, who know Marty, probably know Maggie. She's just kind of putting it all out there, and you can see kind of the unraveling from her. Like, she's she's been pushed to the brink. She's been pushed to the edge. She, you know, has been disrespected, uh, you know, emotionally abused, had her boyfriend physically abused, and now Marty's going to have to pay. Marty has the biggest asshole look on his face as he gets on the elevator saying, yeah, baby, this is uh, this is me respecting you as he just gets in the elevator and, and leaves her frantic. Marty comes home, though, to find that, hey, maybe he should have maybe been a little bit nicer to Lisa because after whatever happened there in the courthouse, Marty comes home to an empty house and a letter from Maggie basically explaining that she is gone and that she knows about what Marty's been doing in the affairs, to which a frantic Marty first tries to call Lisa to figure out exactly what has happened. Lisa? I told you you can't treat people like this. Listen, I just need to know exactly what you told her. You think it's okay what you do? All of you think it's okay to treat your wives the way you treat women the way fucking liars and bullies, and this is what you get. This is what you get. I have children. You blew up my life, you fucking whore. What did you just call me? What did you just call me, you fucking wet noodle, whiskey-dick, faggot, fuck? I will skull fuck you, you bitch! couple things here Uh, Marty still trying to fix it still trying to fix things with still thinking he can fix it just basically like I just need to know what you told her basically so he could formulate his defense or formulate his excuses or his lies but even while doing so and even while asking from asking things from Lisa he's still taking the time to call her a whore which is going back to the disrespect to which obviously she's not going to take well at this point and then she fires back some insults about his penis, calling him a noodle, and, you know, to which Marty then is, Marty's pushed over the edge and basically threatens her life, saying he's going to uh, skull fornicate her. So Marty's still trying to kind of piece together what's happened, still trying to come up with a game plan, still kind of in denial, 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 denial. Uh, He takes it even further by trying to call Maggie's father. Hello, Jake. Jake, is this you? Marty. Is Maggie there? That's none of your goddamn business. Jake, I know she's there. I know she's there. Just, so just no, put her on the phone, would you please? 
Leave her alone, fucking asshole. Jake, I... You're not hearing me. I don't know what she Leave told you. Alone. And I know we haven't always seen eye to eye. You're goddamn right. We've just never please seen eye to eye. put her on the phone no, for me. Just no, you are please. no damn good, Marty. She deserves better. And don't call here again. Jake. Being willing to call her dad after that happened is a true sign of desperation from Marty, right? Because, I mean, if you've dated someone, especially for a long time, if you've built up some history with that you know that dragging the the in-laws into it, knowing that they're going to protect their daughter in this situation, that's a cry for help. That is, you know, a Hail Mary, if you will. And he's trying there. He's trying to get a hold of Maggie, even going through calling her dad, who, of course, is going to have known what's happened. And as Marty puts it out, they've never really seen eye to eye. You think back to, I believe, episode two, where uh, they have a pretty contentious relationship and a conversation about how things are. So he's desperate. He's doing anything he can to try to fix it as it's too late to fix. Back in 2012 in the interrogation room where, where I guess the interview, it's not really an interrogation, it's an interview where, you know, Marty's talking to these other two cops. He basically explains it in cop terms, talking about philosophically uh, what a big part of Marty's problems were with being a a good husband and a good father. Did did I make some mistakes? Yes. You know the detective's curse? Solution was right under my nose, but I was paying attention to the wrong clues. So he makes him being a terrible father, a terrible husband, he relates it to cop work, saying it's a part of the detective's curse. You know, sometimes you get so caught up in uh, your headspace or your work where you are looking for all the answers, and then you miss the most obvious things. Here with Marty, of course, he's talking about, I assume, the key to his happiness, right? The key to his life. He was looking for all these other things to make him happy, a.k.a. Lisa Affairs. He was trying to find a woman that would kind of help even his life out, and the detective's curse in this situation is his wife and kids were there the entire time, and if he would have been paying them more attention instead of looking everywhere else, he would have had a happy life. But we're back to him still being completely desperate. And maybe, to me, the Hail Mary is calling the parents. To me, the Hail Mary is calling the parents. That is the, that is the, the biggest leap of faith or the most desperation. If that isn't the answer, the second one's probably showing up to your wife's work, which is what Marty does. Marty tries to show up to make his case in person, knowing that she can't hide. I mean, I don't know if you follow pop culture or anything, but this is what what um, Offset tried to do with Cardi B by just showing up at her work. And then you saw people on the Internet really talking about this and saying, look, that is the that is harassment. That is way too far. That's across the line. Because she can't hide at work, right? Like Maggie is, especially Maggie, who is a nurse and is at the hospital, she can't run away from work or take the night off or, 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 you know, try to find a way to get away. So he has her sort of trapped, but a doctor intervenes and then security intervenes. And, you know, as he's sitting there begging her and saying that he's not going to give up on her, uh, you have to, the, the Rust, Rust shows up to bring him away, to try to calm him down. So in like the, the, the last 
episode, or I, I guess the end of the episode prior, episode three, and, and so far in the first half of this episode, we've had actual big breakthroughs in this case, right? We, we, we pieced the school together at the end of last hour, and now they have a name, Tyrone Weem, who they can get in touch with that might lead them to Reggie Ledoux. And meanwhile, as all this is happening, you still have to focus on your life. You still, these cops are still having to live life. And Marty is having his life completely fall apart. So far, you know, to the point where his wife's gone and he is desperately running to her work and causing a scene and, you know, coming close to getting arrested as he is obviously completely crushed and preoccupied. But they're still trying to figure out this case. And, you know, now... Rust is having to dial him back in a little bit, try to bring him in. And even though Rust doesn't really want this type of personal relationship with Marty, he's still having to be there and you can't ignore it, right? You you can't you you can't turn this off as you go to work. You can't be living a personal life and, and cut it off and still be able to do your job with no I guess with no effect being put on you. The same way that Marty has shown you can't live this life as a detective, seeing horrific things like he's doing and not come home or and not come home and be affected with it. Like it works both ways in this episode. They're making strives in the case. And, you know, so far before this, the the case was ruining the home life. And now you're starting to see the the home life ruin the case. But Rust and Rust and Marty then go to a bar where, you know, Marty is crying into his beer, essentially, trying to talk to Rust as his as his friend, and and Rust replies with pretty much the, the way you would expect Rust to reply. If I could just get another shot. This ain't gonna tell you something. Yeah, this is none of my business. I wanna hear it. All right, I'm sorry. Total shit. You know, this is part on you. You know, you, you can't just slide into my life creating tensions. Or I make you me. tap some bimbo. Looks like a young Maggie. I make you flaunt that shit. Fuck, that night at the Longhorn, you were so obvious, man, checking around. She looked crazy enough to have followed you there. And all the dick swagger you roll, you can't spot crazy pussy. One of my favorite exchanges so far in the series, you have... Russ telling him, look, I don't care. This is none of my business. Me and you, you know, basically going as far as saying me and, me and you aren't friends. Like, don't tell me about your personal life. I want to get this case solved. To which Marty then says, look, man, this is kind of your fault. Trying to blame him for kind of coming around and stirring things up, stirring Marty's insecurities and just being around. To uh, I, I love the I love the reply. From Rust of basically all, all the dick swagger you have, you can't spot crazy pussy. Basically, like you, you knew what you were getting into when you hooked up with this girl. He said, "Hell, she looked what you were doing at the the Cotton Eye Joe equivalent at, at the at the Western bar was obvious, and you could tell that there was tension there, and she looked crazy enough to follow you there." As he said, it "Was just like, look, don't put this on anybody but yourself. You knew." that this girl, you should have known that this woman was unstable as you went in and, as Russ puts it, tries to find a younger Maggie. Points out, you, these two kind of look alike. You're basically trying to to recapture uh, your youth, 
a little bit. So now they are both heading to Russ's apartment to come up with their plan. And I guess I skipped a little bit forward, but as I was making the connection between uh, Marty's Hail Mary of calling her parents and showing up at her work, he did go do some actual police work. That actually turned up to be pretty important. He went, he tracked down uh, Tyro Weems, learned that, learned that uh, Reggie Ledoux is cooking meth for the Iron Crusaders. The Iron Crusaders is important to, to Rust because Rust has had a relationship with them back when he was working as a narc. He's had some experience with them. He thinks that he can get back in with them and help track down Ladoo. So they are here trying to come up with a plan. And Russ's plan is basically he's going to leave work for a couple weeks. He is going to take a leave because of a sick father and go down and try to uh, infiltrate this Texas, you know, this Texas bike gang. He's going to go down and do that. He is going to try to to get back in. Uh, he goes as far as going uh, replacing some premier cocaine from the you know in, in the the evidence room with just some what seemed to be just some sugar, just wrapped it up, swapped it out. So now he has some cocaine, and he has you know he's sitting there with Marty, and he puts track marks on his arm to look as if he's been using. And you have this big moment where he is going to try to go and get in this bike gang. But before he does that, he tries to help Marty out to an extent uh, by going and talking to, to Maggie. Kids are the only thing that matter, Maggie. You're the only for this old man-woman drama. I'm sorry. What are you suggesting exactly? Just that people fuck up. We age, men, women, it's not supposed to work except to make kids. So if you can imagine Marty's behavior as an expression of weakness, pain, you see that it's not about you. So end of the day, you duck under rationalization, same as any of them. You must have been a great husband. So this is the first big blow up that, or the first, I guess, conflict that Maggie and Rust have had. Rust goes on one of his, ty- you know, not, not, not tirade, but one of his dialogues talking about, look, men and women aren't supposed to work. This is all about the kids. Can we, can we be cordial? Can maybe we make this happen for the kids? And men and women just kind of exist and try to, to raise kids, to which Maggie is obviously upset about that and saying, so after all this bullshit, you're just going to try to rationalize it, right? You're going to try to act like Marty hasn't betrayed me or that Marty is weak only because this is just kind of how it's supposed to be. He's not supposed to be punished because of the kids. And then she throws a pretty a pretty stiff jab to Rust by saying he must have been a great husband. And she knows that, you know, the wife left after, uh, you know, the kid died, his daughter died. So Rust clearly upset, clearly pissed, and having to do this for Marty, even though he's made it clear at the bar that he wants no part of this, he went to do this kind of to try to rein Marty back in and get him focused, and maybe because he cares about Maggie. I don't know. Maybe he cares about Maggie because up until this point, they have had a pretty good relationship, a pretty good friendship. So he's there trying to kind of speak on Marty's behalf, and here she is kind of attacking him for his beliefs. So then you see him just kind of get up 
mad and leave. But it does work because then you you see a scene as they're getting ready for this big, this big, uh, not a stakeout, but this big trying to infiltrate this biker gang as they're getting ready for this big moment that could be life or death for Rust. Uh, even as they're getting ready, Marty asks Russ, like, hey, how did it go with Maggie? To which Russ kind of lies, or really lies, and says, yeah, she actually seemed kind of good. I think you got a shot, man. Two more months and you might be back in on it. Trying to kind of refocus Marty. Trying to keep him as happy and healthy emotionally as possible. Because like I said, they're about to go do this crazy this crazy infiltration of a bike gang. A very dangerous bike gang after Rust has been laying low and disappeared with fake gunshot wounds. Which I assumed were fake gunshot wounds. Maybe they weren't. Maybe he actually did get shot. But he had left and they thought he was dead. And he's just about to pop back up and ask them to start trading them meth for cocaine as they try to track down Reggie. Now, the the upcoming, the upcoming, as Russ gets there to, to talk to the Iron Crusaders and Ginger, the guy he used to have a relationship with, it gets testy and it's, it's intense and it leads to some training day type of stuff of having to get high to prove you're not a narc. And he's in there snorting the cocaine that he stole from the evidence room and you know, he's talking a good game and he's making a good pitch of, hey, this is why, you know, we need to get in front of your meth dealer, basically. The people I'm hanging out with down in Mexico want to start trading and getting in the meth business. And Ginger tells him, before I'll help you do that, I need your help tonight, right now. Saddle up. Let's go. We're going to rob this stash house. We're going to rob this stash house and, and Rust has no choice but to go and be a part of it. As Marty, you know, fumbles and stumbles around this outside trying to get inside the biker gang, the the hangout, he, he's failing miserably. Russ gets taken away on a boat as they head back to their, uh, I guess, apartment to prepare for what's going to happen. And as they get there, they're they're getting loaded up on drugs and basically talking about, hey, you know, we're going to go do this. And they don't really have a plan other than we're going to go in and rob them. We're going to go in and rob them as policemen. Because keep in mind, let's let's think back to episode two. You can do whatever you want if you're a policeman, right? You can do whatever you want with impunity. So they're going to dress as cops and roll in through the, through the hood, bust in this stash house, hold them up, and rob them. That's pretty much the entire plan they have. They have one of their own, uh, one of the, I guess, opposing gang members that they're going to go rob. They have him as bait slash protection. And that's pretty much the only thing they have. And and Russ is sitting there really dumbfounded by how you know poorly this has been planned. But they show up dressed as cops, get in, and things, of course, aren't going to plan because there is no plan. And things are getting hectic and it's taking too long. And, and you know, Russ is freaking out. And as he's, you know, they're all loaded up on drugs as he is. He's basically trying to tell his guys, hey, no gunshots, no gunshots. That's going to start a war. Next thing you know, there's a fight. And boom, an Iron Crusader fires a shot. So now there's four of them in this hood. And things are about to get ugly. Things are about to get ugly, so there's you know there's really nothing else Russ can do than fight his way out alive, which you know re- relies on him taking out some of the Iron Crusaders and then grabbing Ginger and trying to escape to meet back up with Marty. And they took 
a six-minute shot. Like reading about the production side of this, and if you like the the artistry, and if you appreciate the directing of of TV and movies, like this is one of the best shots ever. As they go through on one take, if you notice in this scene, there are no cutaways. It's all just one continuous shot. Now it did take them. They they did do six of these, I believe, as they tried to find the perfect one, but they had to get it done in one day and. They did, and it's a brilliant shot, and it's perfect, and it's it's rust firing shots and moving around smooth as chaos is ensuing around him, and helicopters are flying around, and rival gang members are coming trying to kill him, and, and he's trying to get away while also keeping up with his hostage while meeting up with Marty, and they have to have a really they have, they have, they have a fine a fine window to get through. They have like a two minute window that they can do this before the cops get here. And it's exhilarating. And like I said, the way that they shot it where you just have the camera following rust around is it's brilliant. It's one of the best. Well, it's one of the most well shot footed scenes in, in TV history. It's one that stands out watching this episode. So they get out, they get in the car with Marty and they drive off with ginger as they go to track down would do and that's the end of the episode so this episode was a little frustrating when you when you leave the end of episode three seeing Reggie Ledoux out in his gas mask with his machete tatted up you feel a little bit robbed that it's not going to go straight to him but it makes sense like they don't know they just know the name Reggie Ledoux he's off the grid a lesser TV show would have rushed into it would have would have had them find Reggie Ledoux without actually having to put in the legwork that would actually be required so instead of having a a meth infused shootout this whole episode is built around a biker gang just completely out of nowhere but it makes sense because like I said it seems like a more realistic way to get this big kingpin to get this big serial killer you aren't just going to be able to search Reggie Ledoux's name and find him you're going to have to do the legwork and this episode was that and as they're doing this this top-notch police work, like I said, uh, Marty's life is crumbling around him. And you see a little a little bit of compassion from Rust, a small bit of compassion, but mostly it's manipulation or basically having, realizing he has to do this to continue on with his job while they're trying to solve this case. So now they have a tie to Reggie Ledoux. They should be able to find him. We'll see where it goes in episode five. Appreciate everyone listening. Uh, put up a thread on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Reed's Ranch if you want to communicate there. Looking forward to seeing how this season plays out. Love watching the details and kind of put it, piecing this together. This is the, I guess this is the fourth time I've watched it and I'm picking up new things and helping do the, you know, do this podcast is helping me pay so much more attention, actually think critically about it. And I've gotten a lot of messages from, uh, you know, like I'd say eight or nine of you have sent me messages saying that you're enjoying this and saying that you are either watching the show for the first time or going back and watching it more in depth and you're just picking up so new, uh, so much new stuff. And I appreciate that because this is taking a lot more work than I thought. I thought this would be like a a 45-minute project. Like, I watched about 15 minutes of the show, take some notes, and do it. Instead, this is taking a couple hours to get these episodes out, but I'm having fun doing it. So I'm glad that you guys are enjoying it, and I'll get episode five up tomorrow.